listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. The three greatest enemies of revival. The three greatest enemies of revival. I'm going to teach on that today and show you. And last week, you know, we did an interesting broadcast <clears throat> on how to have personal revival. You know, you don't have to wait for a revival at your church, in your state. You can walk in revival on a daily basis. What's up, Rohan? And so, but today I want to talk about when the believers get together and the spirit begins to move, what is it that hinders the spirit from moving in a church, in a state, in a nation? What is it that hinders or fights against revival? And how can we change that and make sure that we're always in position to receive revival in our churches, in our nation, our states? And that's what we're going to be talking about. Good morning, Ben. Love you, buddy. Uh, Ryan Mosley's in the house. Good to see you. But I'm just saying by faith, do me a favor. Everybody that's jumped on today, everybody that's watching, after you take a minute to share it, I want you to write it in the comment section by faith. It's harvest time. I want you to write it. Write in the comment section. It's harvest time. It's what we're declaring. These last, of course, we're halfway through September already. I mean, time's flying. But last half of September, October, November, December, it's harvest time in Jesus' name. No question. It is harvest time. So we're going to reap. One of the things I'm believing, we're going to reap where we didn't even sow. Hallelujah. Like the Bible says, you will reap where you did not sow. Gospel of John. And so we're, uh, we're believing God for that. When people may, that may be confused by that phrase, you'll reap where you did not sow. What does that mean? Did you know that there are people that have gone before us in the faith, that have lived holy lives, that have sown seed after seed after seed, but then literally they died and went to heaven before they could reap all of their harvest. Well, those harvests don't just fall to the ground. They've got to come somewhere. Do you know God did that with David? David lived a life that was so pleasing to God. Even though he made mistakes, he repented, got his life right with God, and God said, he's a man after my own heart. And then 305 years after David had died, Israel is crying out for help. And God says, I'm going to help you, but not for you, but for my namesake and for my servant David's sake. Oh, hallelujah. What does that mean? David's been dead 300 years. He's still pouring out David's favor on the people of Israel 300 years later. There's a harvest that you can receive. You'll reap where you did not sow. And I'm telling you, get ready. We're going to reap in these final three months of the year like we've never reaped. It's harvest time in Jesus' name. Good to see Elizabeth from Michigan watching. It's harvest time. And so join me, man. I'm telling you, believe this. Confess it daily. One of the biggest mistakes we could ever make as believers is that we look at the natural realm and we believe it over what the word of God's already said. You know, I was dealing with this here at the church. It blows my mind 
that when you read the story of the children of Israel getting ready, they want to take the promised land that God's given them. You remember what they did, and I put this in the in my new book, Further Faster. Um, they sent spies into the land, 12 spies, one from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. When they returned to give a report to the assembly, the Bible says 10 of them had a report of unbelief and fear, and two of them, Joshua and Caleb, had a report of faith. But I love what the Bible says. The Bible calls it an evil report. That right there is mind-blowing. That's mind-blowing. Didn't call it a report of unbelief or fear. The Bible said they came back with an evil report. Well, let me ask you a question. Why is it an evil report? The reason is because God had already given them a word. God had already given them a report. God had already told them, it's your land, go take it. And you know what they said? We can't take it. There's no way we can take it. There are giants in the land. Fear, doubt, unbelief. But why is it evil? Because it is a contradiction to what God already said. Oh, hallelujah. Catch this this morning. Morning, Brother James. Catch this this morning. It was a contradiction of what God already said. Think about it this way. If God said it's yours, I've given it to you, go take it. They are calling God a liar and saying there's no possible way that we can take it. Those that are in the land are too great for us. That's why it's evil. It's evil because it says God's lying. And God is not a man that he should lie. And so I want you to understand this. Anytime we look at a natural report and we declare it to be true over God's word, then it's an evil report because what we're saying is God's word is no longer true. When Jesus plainly said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. It's eternal. It's eternal. It's unbreakable. And so I want you to hear this now. I want you to hear this. If we don't align ourselves with God's word and we start to believe the report of the world, what we hear on the news, what we hear from the government, what we hear from corporations, what we hear from other nations, what we hear from lobbyist groups, and we believe that over what God said, then it's an evil report. The only way to please the Lord is to walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. Faith is the opposite of sight. Because faith believes in what is not seen. Glory to God. And so I'm encouraging you today that we have to declare, going into this final quarter, we're declaring not what we see, but what we say from God's word. I don't declare what I see, I declare what I say. I don't believe what I see, I believe what I say. I want you to put that one more time. We did that last week. Put it in the comments section. I don't believe what I see, I believe what I say. I don't believe what I see. I believe what I say. That's key. That's key. It's the word of God that is preeminent. It's above everything else. 
It's above everything else. That's a great piece of advice from Tina Coleman. Turn off your TV and open your Bible. That's exactly right. We filled ourselves with the wrong thing. And when we fill ourselves with the wrong thing, what does the Bible say? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. What's filling your heart today? That's the question. What's filling your heart? That's it. Put it in the comments. I don't believe what I see. I believe what I say in Jesus' name. I don't believe what I see. I believe what I say. Hallelujah. And so we're not going to look around and say today, well, America's not hungry for God. America's not hungry for revival. America's not hungry for a move of the Holy Ghost. I'm not declaring that. I don't ever declare that. You know what I say? This is the greatest time it's ever been to be a Christian in America. People are hungry for a move of God. The power of God's going to hit this nation like never before. Revival's going to sweep through the 50 states of this nation, the outlying territories in Jesus' mighty name. We're going to see a move of the Holy Ghost like we've never seen. God's not done moving. He's not done with America. Now's the time. Hallelujah. Now's the time. That's what we declare that there's a move in our churches, there's a move in our homes, there's a move in our families, there's a move, and we just keep declaring what we believe by the word of God and not what we're seeing in the natural. Faith believes what it says, not what it sees. Amen. Glory to God. I feel the Holy Ghost on that. And so that's why we're declaring today. Now I'm gonna show you three things from scripture, three things that are the greatest enemies of revival that there are. And you'll see this, and you'll, you'll even know it to be true when I start to show you. These are the three things that the devil uses to try to hold back people from entering into God's presence. Let me, um, let me preface my remarks on these today by saying this. The devil can't stop God. The devil can't stop the move of God. I don't want you to think, amen, Bethany. Bethany, she's declaring, my ear is healed in Jesus' name. I don't want you to think I'm saying that the devil can somehow stop God or that the devil can stop revival. He can't. When God decides to move, there's nobody can stop him from moving. No demon can stop him. So I'm not teaching today that, you know, the, the devil's using this and he's holding God back and he's stopping God. God is always moving. That's where we need to begin. I want you to know that. Write it in your notes. Put it in the comments. God is always moving. He's not stagnant. He's not sitting. He's not muted. He's not retired. He's not unemployed. God is always moving. The question is, are we moving with him? Are we moving with him? He's always moving, but are we moving with him? See, we get the opportunity to move with God when he moves. We, he's not going to force us to move with him, but he wants us to. And the question is, are we moving with him? God is always moving, always. You know, he's the same. He doesn't change. His nature, his character, he is the same. He is the same. God is always moving. Are we moving with him? And so I'm not, I'm not teaching the devil stops revival or the devil holds back revival. He can't. The only one that can decide not to enter in to what God's doing are those that have the opportunity to interact with his presence. Sinners can't stop revival. 
I want you to hear this. All of this responsibility rests upon the church, upon believers. The devil can't stop revival. Demons can't stop revival. Sinners can't stop revival. Cannot do it. The only people that can choose to not enter in to what God's doing are his people, his church, the believer. Because remember this, and somewhere in the world at any given time, there's a mighty move of the Holy Ghost because there are people hungry that are pressing in. Do you know there's nations all over the world right now that are exploding in revival? Nigeria, exploding in revival. Brazil, exploding in revival. You know, there's many places that are just literally the whole nation exploding by the power of Colombia, exploding in revival. Amen. And so it's not that God quit moving. He's never stopped moving. The question is, will we submit to his move? I'm going to give you three things. Three reasons why believers are held back from participating in the move of God and don't see a revival personally in their churches and in their state and their nation. And here they are. I'm going to give them to you today. Take good notes on this one because it is what we need to hear in America and Western Christianity. Western Christianity has begun to fall asleep and it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up and take dominion by the power of God and see God move in our churches. Number one, I've given you time to get your pen and paper ready, your Bible, taking time to share the broadcast. Thanks for jumping on with me today. Let's go. Number one, convenience. The first enemy of revival is convenience. Because when we have a convenient lifestyle, what I mean is we have access to everything. And the issue when we have access to everything is then we start to think, well, do we really need God? The moment your life becomes so convenient that you begin to rely on convenience rather than on the Spirit of God, then you move yourself out of the assistance, the help, and the intervention of the Holy Ghost. Convenience is a killer. It's a killer, especially for the spiritually immature. Because there are spiritually mature people that can live in a convenience-based society and still press into God. There are mature Christians that can live in a convenient place have access to all these wonderful things, but still press into the Spirit of God. But think about those that are growing in faith. Think about those that are immature in the faith. And when we live, you know, it's like this. People have said this to me. It makes me laugh. Well, brother, it just seems to me like God just moves in a greater way in those third world countries. Seems like God's just moving on those people in those third world countries. Have you ever thought to yourself, the reason God is moving in those places is because those people are desperate because they don't have the help that we have here in America. They don't have the help that we have in Canada. They don't have the help that we have in Western Europe. 
And so you go to some of these third world nations. It's like, my God, seems like revival's breaking out in India and different. And you look around and say, man, God just moves in those places and act like, oh, that's where miracles take place over there in Nigeria and India and all that. And you start naming all these nations. And so that, that seems to be where the miracles take place. It's not because God moves more in those places and he's not moving here. It's because when you live in a place where you've got no help from man, when you've got no help from doctors, when you've got no help, you can't just go down to the corner to a CVS. Where are you going to do that? You see what I'm saying? Convenience is a killer. Because when we have so much man-made help, the question is, will we still choose to rely on the Lord? That's the question. When we have so much man-made help, will we still choose to rely on the Holy Ghost? You can't just go, if you're some poor, impoverished, broken down, oppressed, third world nation, where are you going to just run down to the corner to the CVS and pick up some stuff? Where are you just going to run down? There's people that still to this day will walk for hours and hours and hours and hours to get a bowl of almost like an oatmeal or a, a, a damp rice to take back hours and hours and hours and feed their whole family with it. They're not just running to a McDonald's on the corner. You understand what I'm saying? When we live in a place where there's so much access to convenient help, will we still choose to rely on the Lord? If we're sick, do we call on him first or do we call on him last? Here's a question. Convenience. Well, I can run down to the clinic. I can run down to the hospital. I can run down to the CVS and get my prescription filled. I can go down and get some Advil. I can go down and get some... And see, I've heard people say this term. You've heard it as well. You ever heard this? Well, I guess all we can do now is pray. You ever heard somebody say that? I guess all we can do now is pray. Should have done it first. You should have done it first. They talk about it like it's the last resort. Well, I guess all we can do now is pray. Yeah, you should have started with prayer. Should have started with prayer. Because when you don't, it's you saying, I trust in these other means more than I do in the spirit of God. I don't run to the medicine cabinet as my first resort. All we can do now is pray. You should have done it first. He should be your first priority. He should be your first line of defense. He should be your first help. My help comes from the Lord. Hallelujah. My help comes from the Lord. And so, well, I guess all we can do now, no, he's got to be the first one that we go to for help. Say, Lord, I need your assistance. See, convenience says, well, I've got all this other help. Why not just use that first? Amen. I've got, a, I've got access to this pharmacy, this hospital, this clinic, this. You see what I mean? And then you, you go to places where they don't have that. What's their only option? If I need a touch, I need to access God's power. I need his presence. Let me read to you Jeremiah 17 one more time so that you can catch this because this is the real principle of what holds, well, first thing, holds revival back is that people have settled in to a life of convenience and they don't rely on the Lord. They refuse to rely on the Lord. It's dangerous. Listen to this. 
Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 5. I'm going to read it from the ESV. I want you to put that reference in the comments today. Jeremiah 17 and verse 5. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Hmm. The other, uh, if you look into the original Hebrew here, when it says, and makes flesh his strength, the actual Hebrew word here is, and makes flesh his arm. Leaning on the arm of flesh rather than in the arms of God. Leaning on the arm of flesh rather than leaning on the arms of God. And so what happens, hmm, I love that. Linan puts in Proverbs 132 in the comments. The complacency of fools will destroy them. What translation is that, Linan? Jeremiah 17, 5. Get that in your spirit. Cursed is the man. Not, I'm disappointed in the man. You understand? It's not God saying, I'm disappointed in the man that puts his trust in the arm of flesh. No, it's not a disappointment. It's not a small mistake. Cursed is the man. It brings a curse upon your life when you trust in men rather than trusting in God. Because the Bible tells us what happens. His heart, the person who does that, their heart is turned away from the Lord. You can't have your heart on both at the same time. I either fully trust in God, New American Standard, or I trust in men. I can't trust in both. I always share that story that Bishop Oyedepo told her when he's praying. And the Lord asked him, my son, can you make one of your eyes look up and the other one to look down at the same time? And he said he tried it and couldn't make it happen. And the Lord replied, if you can't, Never again say that you were looking unto me when you were really looking unto men. You cannot have the, your faith placed in both at the same time. We either trust in God or we trust in men. I'm not telling you that we don't use wisdom. Of course we use wisdom. But when people have put their trust in men over God and in the convenience of their society over God, then they've missed it. That's why if you, uh, if you understand what Jesus was trying to teach, he said it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, what is he saying there? And the disciples were blown away. You know why? They had money. Peter had money, if you don't know. Peter had a business. You look at it. He didn't just have a ship. He had ships. He had people working for him. Servants, the Bible says. He had a house so big that literally it could fit him, the disciples, Jesus, and his mother-in-law. They all met there. Jesus had blessed men with him, and Jesus was blessed. So the disciples were kind of blown away because they said, well, Lord, then who can inherit the kingdom of heaven? You know, I said, they said that because they're like, well, we got stuff. What about us? But he said, no, the reason is people that are not following God that already have their riches, they feel like they don't need help from anyone. Well, I've got everything I need. I've got everything I need. I've got plenty of money. I've got insurance. I got a home. 
I got plenty of food, got nice cars. We go on vacation twice a year. I got my kids' college paid for, got my retirement covered. I'm all set. I don't need anything. My, and what are they doing? Trusting in their riches. Trusting in their, they can fade like that. Trusting in natural help. You see? And Jesus said, when you do that, what ends up happening in your mindset is you start to think, I don't need God's help. I don't need his assistance. I don't, but here's the question. What do you do, and this has happened to many, what do you do when there's nobody else that can help you? What do you do when you get to a situation that no man can help you with? What do you do when a doctor tells you that there's no surgery or medication that can cure your disease and send you home to die? Your help can't come from men now, can it? What do you do when the money's gone? Let me ask you this, as if money's everything. You got men, look at some of the most wealthy and well-known men in the world, that it wasn't enough to make their life what they wanted it to be. Look at Robin Williams, who was a multi-multi-millionaire, successful, everybody knew his name, and killed himself, had no peace, had no joy. While he's making other people laugh, he's living in turmoil inside himself. Think about it. Look at Anthony Bourdain, who probably had one of the greatest jobs you can have. Just travel the world, stay in beautiful suites and hotels, and eat the best food made by chefs, and then talk about it on a national television show. It doesn't get much better than that. And killed himself. Multi-millionaire, nationally, internationally known chef. Television personality. Had it all, but still killed himself. Why? Because it's not enough. If you don't have peace, if you don't have joy, which cannot come from this world, cannot come from this world, and convenience, see, these things mean nothing without the power of God, mean nothing. You know, that's why I love Proverbs 10, because people that want to bash the message of blessing and prosperity, they say, oh, you really think that's a sign of holiness? Because there's sinners that got money, brother. Yeah, there are sinners that got money, killing themselves, killing themselves. That's why Proverbs 10, says, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow unto it. There's plenty of people that got money and they're filled with sorrow. Filled with sorrow. But the blessing of the Lord, it makes rich and adds no sorrow unto it. No sorrow unto it. There's people think they've got it made. Without God, you've got nothing. And the Bible tells us, if you put your trust in the arm of flesh, you look at these guys, they got everything they want, and they're still in turmoil. I remember Chris Farley, who I love to watch. Some of y'all remember Chris Farley. was on Saturday Night Live, became a movie star. Funny. Everybody that knew him said he was a sweet guy. They miss him. They still to this day, all his friends talk about him. Even in the midst of roasts, when they do roasts of, of comedians, if somebody does a, a Chris Farley joke, it's enough. You don't talk about Chris, even though he's been dead all these years. They loved him. But here's a man that had all this money, all this fame, everything, and still such an inner turmoil that he overdosed on drugs. It's not enough. It is not enough. And the church 
they feel like that they can live in convenience and they've got it all figured out for themselves, they can't enter into a move of God because their trust is in the arm of flesh. It's not in the arms of God. And I made up my mind. I don't care how blessed that I ever get, and I'm blessed. Trust me when I tell you, I am blessed. But I don't care how blessed I ever get. I will never put my trust in my blessings. I'll never put my trust in what God's put in my hands. I'll never put my trust in my connections or who I know or who could help me. Never. My trust will be in the Lord. You know, I I heard, um, I believe it was Pastor Enoch Adeboye say this. He said, you know, God doesn't just check in on you to see how you're reacting in times of attack and times of trouble and times where the devil's coming after you. He said he also checks in on you to see how you're reacting in times of blessing, in times of abundance, in times of prosperity. God checks up on you to see how you're reacting. He doesn't just want to see that you're pressing into his presence when the devil's attacking. Anybody can do that. Anybody can start praying when there's problems. Anybody can start fasting when they need a breakthrough. But he wants to check on you when you're doing well, when you're blessed in abundance, when you've got more than enough, when the bills are all paid plus extra in the bank, children all serving the Lord. Are you still pressing into his presence? Are you still pressing into his anointing? Or have you taken it easy? Have you put life on cruise control? See, because when God looks at you, he's checking to see, can I trust them with this blessing? Or is this level of blessing going to push them away from my presence? Why would God bless you with a boat if instead of going to church on Sunday, you now started just taking your family out on the lake every Sunday on the boat? Why would God put something in your life that was going to take you farther away from him? He's not doing that. He's not a fool. And there's some people... God can't bless them into a life of blessing and convenience because he knows that if he did, that it would pull them out of his presence. Do you want to know something interesting? The people that I know that are the most blessed, and I'm talking about abundantly blessed, the kind that would like freak people out, they don't care about things. I've I've learned this. The people that I know personally that are the most blessed, that are living in extreme abundance, they don't care about things. They have things, but they're not controlled by things. They don't care about things. They have a nice car, but they're not ruled. Their whole life's not ruled by their car, their house, their paycheck, the watch they wear. The, they're not ruled by it. If the Lord told them to give it away, they'd give it away. That's key. That God will bless you, and he'll give you things, and you can have things as long as things don't have you. It's this life of convenience that's a killer. If you let convenience become your help, it's a dangerous place to be. Good morning, Brother Ted. I want to show you this. Our hope, our trust has to be in God alone. And I don't care if I'm feeling great. You know, I feel phenomenal. There's no sickness that touches my body, no disease. I've got perfect health. But that doesn't mean I stop confessing him as my healer. Do you know what I do? I tell you this. I've I've told you this is almost like a, uh, just kind of like a, something for you to use as an example. We'll come into a new month like we did in September and I'll lift my hands and begin to pray and say, I thank you, God, that August came and went 31 days 
of that month and no sickness touched my family. No disease touched my family. No evil thing touched my family. I thank you, Lord Jesus. August came to an end and you're our healer and the power of your spirit was on our body and I'll give him praise and thanks. Not because, thank you, I, you know, I don't lift my hands and say, thank you, Lord, we have medical science around the world that's making new technology, technological discoveries. No, I thank him for his power, his glory. He sees, I'm still pressing in. Even though we don't have, there's no attack came against us in August. Nothing wicked tried to touch our bodies. Nothing, no, perfect peace, perfect healing. But you better believe I'm going to be praying and thanking God, not laying off and saying, oh, thank God, this is just how we live. No, I'm pressing in. God's going to see me pressing into his spirit when everything's going well, and even if the devil tried to attack, wouldn't matter. My prayer life doesn't change based on how the world's doing. Come on. My prayer life, I'm going to fast and pray whether or not I'm in, I need a breakthrough or don't need a breakthrough. I do it because I'm pressing into him and I love the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. God checks on you to see how you're doing in times of attack, and he checks on you to see how you're doing when you're blessed. He wants to see you consistent and consistently pressing in. Number two, the second wicked enemy of revival is a lack of hunger in the people of God. A lack of hunger. It's not just convenience, it's a lack of hunger. And let me tell you something. Spiritual hunger is different the natural hunger. I'm going to tell you how. With natural hunger, the more you eat, the less you want to eat. The more you eat, the more full you get. With spiritual hunger, the more you eat, the hungrier you get. The more you eat, the hungrier you get. The more you eat, the hungrier you get. Yeah. So in the comments, I want you to put this today with me. The more I eat spiritually, the hungrier I get. The re you know what? Let me tell you. You know why Christians aren't hungry? They don't feed themselves. They depend on a snack they get every Sunday for an hour, and then they go home. That's a snack. If you eat once a week, your body would not look good. If you gave yourself one meal every seven days, you would be emaciated. God never designed church to be your only spiritual feeding time. It's there. We have men of God, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers set in the church for the perfecting of the saints, but God never expected that to be the only time you fed in his presence Sunday morning. No. No. It's like, you know, can you imagine if you did that in your marriage? Well, you know, I love my wife, but I only kiss her and talk to her on Sunday morning, but we don't have any interaction the rest of the week. You wouldn't have a strong marriage. You'd have nothing. It's a daily, consistent fellowship with the Lord that keeps you hungry. You can't read your Bible on Sunday morning and then throw it in the backseat of the car and let the sun bake the leather for the rest of the week. You have got to press in. And daily, consistently come up with a discipline to be in the presence of God. The more I eat spiritually, the hungrier I get. And the reason many Christians are not hungry is because they refuse to feed themselves. See, it's only babies that have to be fed. Mature people feed themselves. 
I don't sit in a high chair in my house and wait till my, my wife spoon feeds me dinner. I eat. I eat. The more you eat spiritually, the hungrier you get. The more you feed your spirit, the more it wants. The more it wants. And let me tell you what the Bible says. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 6. <clears throat> Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. It's not going to be the ones that aren't hungry. It's going to be the ones that are. Turn with me real quickly to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. Gospel of John, chapter 6. Let me show you this. Jesus said something here that will stir your spirit. John chapter 6, I'm going to read you verses 32 through 35. Amen. That's right, Winona. We need to get into his presence on a daily basis. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. Not everybody that's going to be filled, it's those that are hungry. Hallelujah. If you want the Spirit of God to come and fill you in his presence, fill your atmosphere, and to feel a move of his presence, it's time to get hungry. You know, it's funny to me that people want to pray for revival in their nation, don't want to go to church. Average Christian attends church once every five weeks. People want to go to, people, they, oh my God, we want revival, but the pastor better be done in 90 minutes. People want revival? Don't tell me you want revival while you're checking your watch during the service. Don't tell me people want revival. If you truly get hungry, being in his presence is all you need. It's all you want. When you truly get hungry, it's like when I fell in love with my wife. I wasn't trying to see what I could get away from her. I was trying to see what I could get to her. I wanted to spend all the time with her I could. That's what being in love is. And if you're in love with the Lord, you're not trying to get out of his house, trying to get into his house. That's why Hebrews 10.25 says that as you see the day of the Lord approaching, gather all the more, not less. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the custom of some. But as you see the day of the Lord approaching, gather all the more. That's why I thank God for men like Pastor Jordan, who understand the importance of this. That's why we're not here just on a Sunday morning. I don't do one-day meetings as a preacher, as an evangelist. I don't do one-day meetings. I'm not a conference speaker. I'm an evangelist. I'm a revivalist. I don't come in and say, well, we're just, we'd like to come in and do a Sunday morning. I don't come in for Sunday morning because we're doing what the Bible says. We're gathering all the more, having a move of the Holy Ghost. God moves. We need to be in his presence. You telling me, I mean, think about this. You telling me, you look around this nation at what's going on right now in 2020, and you're telling me we, you think we need to go to church less? <laughs> You think we need to go to church less? You think we need less of God's presence? You think we need less of his power? Oh, that's right. That's what we should do. As the nation's going to hell, we ought to sit home and watch Netflix. We ought to sit home and just kick our feet up on the couch and just chill out. No, God needs a remnant of people in the body of Christ that are hungry enough to get into his house, to fast and pray, to praise him, to give, to get into the word, to pray and get into his presence and say, Lord, use me before it's too late. Not less, we need more.
not less. We need more. And so no hunger, lack of hunger. It's an enemy of revival. It's an enemy. Listen to what Jesus said. John 6, giving you time to get there, and verses 32 through 35. Jesus said unto them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So you look at the differences between Matthew chapter 5 and John chapter 6. Jesus is saying those that are without him, those are the, that are without his presence, those that are not in the kingdom, they will hunger forever. They will thirst forever because they've got nothing to satisfy their soul. But he said, I am the bread of life. Come to me, I'll feed you the bread of life. Oh, hallelujah. And then when you come into the kingdom, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Did you know the man of God, Dr. John G. Lake, lived in the last century. He said, after all the miracles he saw, after all the moving of God's spirit, the presence of God, he said, if there's one thing I could transfer to every believer, if there's one thing that I could ensure is at work in every believer's life, it would be spiritual hunger. That's what he said. That would be the number one attribute that I would impart to every Christian if I could. Spiritual hunger. That's what we're talking about, point number two. You can't have a move of God where people aren't hungry for God. You can't have revival where people don't care whether or not the move of the Spirit is there. You can't have the power of God sweep through your church, sweep through your state, sweep through your county if people aren't hungry for a move of the Holy Ghost. It has to start with me. It has to start with you. Oh, hallelujah. I remember hearing, and I'm trying to remember what, it just slipped my mind, the, the mighty revivalist. Maybe somebody's watching, can give me the name. It just slipped. I can't remember if it was Spurgeon or who it was, but he was working in a shoe store, working in a shoe store. And he had a little piece of chalk. He knew God was going to use him. And he took a piece of chalk and he drew a circle on the ground and he stood inside the circle. And he said, Lord, first, revive what's inside this circle. Revive what's inside this circle first. See, that's the key. People say, well, you know, I, I just wish God would move in my church. Ask him to move in you first, just like this man of God did. Ask him to move in your own personal life. Starts with me. I've got to get hungry. See, it's not about, uh, the church as a whole is not one entity, we're all part of the body of Christ, but we are members in particular, the Bible says. Revive me first, Lord. 
revive what's in this circle. Hallelujah. Use me, God. And so even though we are the body of Christ at large, each one of us are members in particular. And we've got to be used. We've got to be used. Hallelujah. Individually. Revived individually. That means i got to get hungry. You've got to get hungry. And you know how you get hungry? You feed yourself the word. You feed yourself the word. You get into prayer. You spend time daily praying. You get into his presence. Some of us may need to start fasting more. Somebody cracked me up. Somebody on the uh, broadcast the other day wanted to correct me. Fasting, that's works, brother. That's aestheticism. That has nothing to do with spiritual life. That's just something man does. So, well, you know, Jesus did say that, uh, you know, when I go, my disciples will fast. Jesus himself fasted, and he's our example. <laughs> he said, when I leave here, my children will fast. My followers will fast. The guy said, yeah, but he came back again. <laughs> yeah, well, guess what? After that, Paul was still living, and Paul was fasting. Other believers fasted. Early church history, they fasted two days a week. Early church, read church history. Some of us need to quiet the flesh down so our spirits can get more hungry. I love what um, F.F. Bosworth said. I quote this all the time in the book, Christ the Healer. He said, most Christians, they feed their uh, body three hot meals a day and their spirit one cold snack a week and wonder why they're so weak in faith. They feed the flesh constantly and never feed the spirit. Some of us need more times of fasting and prayer to get that flesh to shut up, to shut up. I'll tell you, one of the things that, and of course I needed to lose weight anyway, I was overweight, but one of the reasons that I really did start doing a lot of the stuff that I'm doing now, part of it was to even shut the flesh up because you know, you can get controlled by things that your flesh loves to do. And I love to eat. I love food. No question about it. I enjoy eating. I'm one of those people that I don't eat to survive. I eat because I enjoy it. <laughs> I had somebody say to me one time, you hungry? You want to go get something to eat? I said, what does being hungry have to do with eating? Let's just go eat. <laughs> and part of this is you've got to literally crucify the flesh. You have to crucify the flesh on a daily basis. And let me tell you, fasting helps you crucify your flesh. And it allows your spirit to get hungry and take control of your life. Don't be controlled by your flesh. Be controlled by your spirit man. That's number two. Number one is a life of convenience, trusting in the convenient things you have around you and in the arm of flesh rather than the arm of God. Number two is no hunger. A lack of hunger will destroy any opportunity for revival. And then number three, let me give this to you today. The third thing that destroys revival in your own personal life is prayerlessness. This is a big one, very big. Let me take you to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. I was reading the book, Prayer That Brings Revival by Dr. Cho. And in his book, he said that truly prayer will bring revival, 
But the trick is getting Christians hungry enough to actually pray. You know, he actually is so focused, was so focused on prayer. I mean, prayer changed Korea. It built the largest church in the history of the world, over a million members of Yoido Full Gospel Church in Seoul, Korea. They built prayer mountains specifically with grottos that you could go in and fast and pray. Even Dr. Cho had his own personal grotto in the mountain that he could go in and separate himself from society and pray and fast, seek the face of God. And he began to talk about the power of prayer that brings revival. You can't have revival without prayer. Amen. You can't have revival in the same way you can't have a fire without fuel. If there's nothing to burn, you can't have fire. What happens if the fire starts to die out? What do you add? More, more wood. You add more wood to the fire to keep it burning and to build the fire back up, let it burn brighter and, and hotter. Prayer is the wood, but the Holy Ghost is the fire. Prayer is the fuel that allows God to move in your life. Prayer is the power that God gets involved with. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14, let me read it to you. The Bible says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. Hallelujah. There's people that want God to heal America. There's people that want God to heal Canada. There's people that want God to heal their nation and to see a mighty revival sweep through. But if we're going to see that, we've got to be people who are willing to pray. And I don't mean five minutes a day. I don't mean over your meals. I don't mean for a few minutes before you go to sleep. I mean there's going to have to be people that are dedicating themselves to prayer. I like what Bishop Oyedepo said. He said, if you're joining us in fasting and prayer and you're not praying in a, at least an hour a day, you might as well go ahead and eat something because you're wasting your time. Fasting without prayer is nothing. It's starving. It's a diet. It's abstaining. Fasting is nothing without prayer. And when we do these fasts throughout the year, 21 days, 30 days at the beginning of the year, days throughout the year, if you're not praying at least an hour a day, you might as well just go eat because you're not serious about pressing into the presence of God. I believe if you look at the New Testament principles and the New Testament narrative, that an hour seemed to be pretty standard. Jesus said to him in the garden, could you not tarry with me in prayer for one hour? He didn't think it was a long time. What about when they were going up to the temple in Acts 3? What was it? The hour of prayer. It seemed to be pretty standard that that's how they conducted their lives. They based their Christian lives around prayer. Did you ever think about that? There was a daily hour of prayer for the believers in the New Testament. Not a weekly, a daily. A daily hour of prayer. How much time are you giving to the Lord? I mean, we talk about, I want to see revival. But are we praying? You know, there's people who sit down and watch three shows on Netflix, episode, 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 back to back to back. So, well, brother, I don't have time to pray. Yet they'll blow through a whole season of a show in one day. You've got time. What I found out is people have time for what they want to have time for. If people want to work out, they make time to work out. 
If people want to go to the mall, they make time to go to the mall. If people want to go golfing, they make time to go golfing. But if people are going to pray, we have to make time for prayer. We have to prioritize prayer. And the Lord said here to the Old Testament people of God, he said, if my people that are called by my name would humble themselves, you know, one of the things of humbling yourself in the Old Testament, it was fasting. Sometimes when the Old Testament is speaking of humbling yourself, it's actually speaking about fasting. If my people would humble themselves and pray, repent, turn from their wicked ways. Look at that. Then I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sins and I'll heal their land. God is looking for some people who are willing to pray, willing to press into his presence. Prayer brings revival. If you don't have that book by Dr. Cho, you need to buy it immediately. Prayer that brings revival. It's a convicting book. It'll convict you about your life of prayer. Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So the second thing you can see here about prayer is that even though your flesh is weak, it overcomes the flesh. You see that? As you dedicate yourself to prayer, put it in the comments, prayer overcomes the flesh. Prayer over, look at it, what it did for Jesus. Who do you think wants to be tortured and killed? Nobody wants that. Jesus is in the garden in such a state of turmoil, knowing what the Father wants him to do, knowing his destiny, and he knows what's coming. What, what started to happen to him? His flesh started pushing back. What did he pray? Lord, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, please let this cup pass from me. But then his spirit stepped up. Yet, not my will, but your will be done. That's called a prayer of consecration, giving yourself to God. Prayer overcomes the flesh. Jesus taught it. Jesus taught it. You'll not enter into temptation if you'll pray. Why? Because even though the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. If you've got weak flesh, which we all do, you learn how to overcome it by the power of prayer. And if you'll step in and pray, I love what Bishop Oedepo says, if you're not prayerful, you'll be sinful. If you're not prayerful, you'll be sinful. We've got to pray. And prayer brings revival. Let me show you this now. Go with me to Acts chapter four. And then I'm gonna pray for you. Acts chapter four, I want you to go there with me. Now, just to give you a little bit of background, you know what's happening. There's turmoil in the city because Peter and John healed the lame man. The miracles are happening. People are preaching Christ. And now the council's getting ticked off about it. The council, there's my friend, Pastor Joel Toller. Love you, buddy, over in the UK. The council's ticked off. Don't preach in that name anymore. Persecuting them. Persecuting the church. You understand what was happening through the book of Acts. People are being beaten on their backs with rods, all kinds of stuff. They're persecuting the church. Well, let me tell you, the moment persecution comes, it's a temptation to back off what you were doing before. And notice that after they were released from the council, 
the Bible says, and I'm going to start reading in uh, verse 23. Acts 4 and verse 23. Check it. When they were released from the council, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And then they heard it. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Verse 27, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants boldness to continue to speak your word while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now catch verse 31. Here's the key. Acts 4, 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Well, what happened after that? Well, you start reading. Was that the end of the early church? Was that council meeting where they commanded them to stop preaching in the name of Jesus and working miracles? Was that the end of the early church? Or was that just the beginning? It was just the start. And they got refilled with the Holy Ghost. The place shook and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And the power of God blew up. From region to region, the church was added to daily. Thousands and thousands of people joined the church. Miracles, signs, and wonders. They couldn't stop it. And you think about this. It took three centuries, 300 years, before the peace of the church, what we call in history the peace of the church, where the killing of Christians was ended and the torture of Christians was ended and the persecution of the church was ended. But for 300 years, the Holy Ghost, he continued to blow up like that. And at the threat of death and at the threat of torture, Christianity spread through the world and could not be stopped. It was through praying, praying people that brought boldness, overcame the flesh, allowed God to move. And the book I was referencing was by Dr. David Youngie Cho. And the book's called Prayer That Brings Revival. Prayer That Brings Revival. And I want you to hear this because it was their prayerful attitude. It was their, not this life of convenience like some people have today, not their literally depending on what they had around them. They didn't have anything around them to help them in this situation. And obviously they got hungry because they went directly to prayer, directly to prayer. And as they began to pray, the power of God began to move. And as the power of God began to move, the Holy Spirit hit that place and they all got filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke the word of God with boldness. 
Now, this is what I'm praying today. Now, I am going to pray for every one of you. Because hear me, it's time for a mighty move of the Holy Ghost to sweep through our nation. It's time to get back to prayer. It's time to get back to a move of the Spirit. It's time for these seeker-sensitive churches to shut down or catch on fire, one of the two. They either need to catch on fire with the Holy Ghost or close their doors forever because they've gone away from the truth of God. It's time for revival. People say, well, Brother Ted, I thought the Bible teaches that in the last days that many will, the hearts of many would grow cold. I thought the Bible teaches that at the end of time that people would fall away from the faith. I know the Bible teaches that, but what we're declaring is that's not going to be me in Jesus' name. That's not going to be me. It's not going to be my church. It's not going to be my people, not going to be my family. And I'm pressing it. I don't care what others are doing. I care what I'm doing. I can't control others. I can encourage others. I can admonish others. I can charge others, but I can only control what I do. And let me tell you, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that I'm a part of the remnant of God. And I know you will too. You wouldn't be on this broadcast today if that wasn't your heart. You're going to do the same. I will make sure I'm a part of the remnant. I want you in all capital letters to put it in the comment section today. I will make sure I am part of the remnant of God. Hallelujah. I will make sure I'm part of the remnant of God. Put that in the comment section. Don't be ashamed of the power of the Holy Ghost in your life. Don't be ashamed of your hunger. Don't be ashamed of your prayerful lifestyle. In Jesus' name, put it in the comment section and declare it by faith. I will be a part of God's remnant in the last days. In Jesus' name. And I'm gonna pray for you because what we need is people like you. We need people that are hungry and on fire. We're gonna be on fire. We're gonna see revival take place in Jesus' mighty name. And so let me pray for every person that's watching today. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, as we've heard from your word today, we refuse to allow these enemies of revival to take place in our lives or have, a, have any place in our life. We will not put our trust in convenience. We will not put our trust in the things that we have around us that men have offered, the arm of flesh, the arm of of the natural realm. We'll not put our trust in the natural. Our trust is in the spirit. Hallelujah. Our trust is in the spirit of God. It's in you alone. We will not allow ourselves to be in a place where we've lost our hunger, but we'll feed ourselves from the word. We'll feed ourselves from teaching and preaching until our hunger continues to explode and we stay into the presence of God. And Father, we'll pray. We will pray. We will pray. We will pray and press into your presence like never before. In the mighty name of Jesus, we declare it. Lord, set a fire in our hearts. In Jesus' name, make us the boldest we've ever been. Uh, we will never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. And so, Lord, let it start with us. In Jesus' name. Let this mighty revival that's going to hit America, hit Canada, sweep the world, let it start with us in the mighty name of Jesus. Revive what's in this circle as the preacher prayed. Revive what's in this circle. Revive me first, Lord. 
Let me be a carrier of your fire. Let me be a carrier of your power. Let me be a carrier of your anointing until Jesus comes or until I die. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we thank you, Lord. We give you praise. We humble ourselves and declare we need you. We need you like never before. Without you, we would be nothing. Without you, we'd surely fail. Without you, we'd be drifting like a ship without a sail, as we used to sing. And so, Lord, use us. Use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, open doors for us by your power. We thank you, Lord, for it. We give you praise. Thank you for making us your children. Thank you for calling us. And before the, even the beginning of time, before the foundations of the earth, you called us out. You brought us into your kingdom. You destined us for your family. And we thank you, Lord, for it. We give you praise for it today in Jesus' name. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your, your powerful will. Thank you for raising us from death unto life. Though we were dead in trespasses and sins, thank you for raising us up and seating us with Christ in heavenly places. Thank you, Lord, for preparing a place for us. In Jesus' name, we say, Lord, come quickly. Come quickly in Jesus' mighty name. Come quickly in Jesus' name. But before you come, empower us to win so many souls and bring them into the kingdom of God. Let us change and impact our generation before it's too late. In the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for the revival that begins with us. In Jesus' name, if you believe that, shout amen and throw some fire in the comment section today. In Jesus' name, we declare it's done. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise and glory for it. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Listen, I got something as a gift in the month of September that will stir your faith up. One of the things I really and truly appreciate about our pastor, Bishop Rick Thomas, is that he is a man who preaches by revelation from the Word of God. And in the month of September, for every person that's partnering with Carolyn and with me and Miracle Word Ministries, we're going to send you a gift, which is this book entitled Speak to the Void by Bishop Rick Thomas. If you're standing with us at $85 or more this month of September, this is our gift to you. This powerful book, and he, he gave us some special edition hardcovers, and he signed them to you, uh, these books that are, that are gonna be your gift this month. It's a powerful thought that the same power that's in God's mouth and his words are in your mouth and in your words. And as you speak to those chaotic situations that the devil tried to use to destroy your life, it brings order by the Spirit of God back to every situation, whether it's relationships, physical health, finances, peace and joy, whatever it might be. The devil has to lose his grip and let go, and things must come back into order. You speak to the void and make it obey. If you'd like to receive that, if you're sowing this month, you'd like to receive that, go to miracleword.com forward slash offer. Please fill out the form. Let us know where you're sowing and how you sowed, and let us know what address we can send that book to, and you're a blessing to us. Let me encourage you, those watching today, to sow a seed by faith. God's moving in revival. Let me tell you, I don't, and I'm not saying this by pride, but I say it because it, thank you, Brother Joel, I love you. I say it not by pride or pat, I'm not patting myself on the back. Anybody that knows me knows I'm not a prideful person, but I want to say this because it's the work of the Lord. And I'm looking around right now, and I, I can just tell you honestly, there's not too many ministries that are week after week 
in constant revival, that are, that are traveling full-time, that are seeing revival every single week. I think we're out for the next five weeks consecutively, literally, revival every week. What you're, a reason I tell you that, the, what you're sowing into, I'm not just talking the talk. I'm not even going home. <laughs> I'm out seeing God move. Carolyn's out seeing God move. The kids, the team we have with us, our desire is to see God move wherever we go. And so what I want you to hear is that you're sowing directly into a revival ministry, a miracle ministry, a soul-winning ministry. You take part directly in the move of the Holy Ghost. And that's what we're believing for America. We're believing God will touch this nation like we've never seen. The best days are not behind us, they're in front of us. And the, the powerful thing is this, as you sow by the power of the Holy Ghost, it doesn't just send the gospel, it's also an opportunity for you to be abundantly blessed. And I tell you, God wants you to be abundantly blessed. He wants to see you debt-free, wants to see you in a place where you're not, not only are you not struggling, you're walking in the overflow. You're a blessing to your generation, not a liability. That though people around you will be blessed just from your excess, that's God's plan. It's God's plan. You're blessed to be a blessing. So it's very easy if you'd like to sow a seed or as I'm encouraging you to do, partner with us on a monthly basis. Ask the Lord today. You know, people think, well, this is too little. This is too little of a gift. This would be in, uh, insignificant. I had some lady write into our ministry. I don't know what she heard. She heard something wrong because I would have never said anything like this. She said, I don't, I don't want to continue giving. Uh, my, I was giving $10 a month or what it was, 5 or $10 a month. She said, but I don't want to continue giving it. I want you to cancel because I heard Brother Ted say that uh, he doesn't want any small offerings. I've never said anything like that in my life. What I've said was, whatever you do for the Lord has to take faith to do. If it means something to you, it means something to God. We have people that stand with us at all different levels. It's about where you are personally. The Lord's got to speak to you and guide you. Don't ever think, well, I don't, what I'm doing is not large enough to be considered an offering. If it's large to you, if it's important to you, it's important to God. Everybody starts at the level they are. Ask yourself today and pray and ask the Lord, what could I do on a monthly basis to stand with Ted and Carolyn as they're bringing revival around this nation and other nations? Maybe you could stand at $30 a month, $50 a month. Maybe as we're asking, we prayed and asked the Lord to send 1,000 families that would stand with us at $85 a month. Whoever you are, whatever God tells you to do, just be obedient and God will bless you. Listen, for those that are sowing largely, and I know those, there are those that are doing that, $1,000 or more this month, we're going to not only send you that powerful book by Bishop Thomas, but also my new book, Further Faster, a limited edition hardcover, and a genuine leather life application study Bible in the New Living Translation. These are just our ways of saying thank you. You're not sowing a seed to get a gift or a present. We're just saying thank you for standing with us by faith because time's running out. Jesus is coming, and there are people that don't know him, and you're standing with us in faith to get the work done. We're working while it's yet day, for the night is coming where no man can work. Amen. The night is coming where no man can work. We're here uh, tonight, tomorrow night, in Billings, Montana, Bethany Church. And uh, those of you that are on the East Coast, we're going to go live at 9 p.m. Eastern. That's 7 p.m. here in Montana. We'll be live, and you can join us uh, on Facebook tonight live 
So just people people writing in yesterday and asking me, are you guys going to be live? Yes, we're live on Facebook every night at 9 p.m. Eastern time. So join us. And the next week, I'll be in Evansville, Indiana, Sunday through Friday. And then the week after that, Botkins, Ohio. Week after that, Fitchburg, Massachusetts. And it just never stops. So a couple weeks after that, York, Pennsylvania. God's going to move all for the rest of this year. We're going to see miracle after miracle. Amen? It's going to be miracle after miracle in the mighty name of Jesus. Am I forgetting anything? Anything is, I'm forgetting any announcements? Anything that we've got on it? All right, good. I love you. Listen. Thanks for hanging with me today. If you didn't take a minute to share the broadcast, do it. People need to hear this. God's moving, and we're going to be a part of it in Jesus' name. I'll be back again tonight, 9 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Mountain Time, and I'll see you again in the morning, 10.30 a.m. God bless you. I love you. Have a great day. Talk to you later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.